Let's pray real quick and we'll get into this uh, Knowing God Part 2. Father, we just want to thank you for tonight and um, for the opportunity that we have to just get into your word and learn of you. Learn what it is that you want us to know so that we have that foundation in our life that we can grow from there deeper in you. And we pray that uh, you would show us and reveal yourself as we just give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you didn't get uh, last week's part one, which was God the Father, uh, if you don't have a copy, I know some people got them. Um, I know Richard can make more copies if you need them, and he would, I'm sure, be more than happy to do that. He's shaking his head yes. So if you need to. And then I also had some notes left over from last week, or if you want those, if we run out of them, I can get more. I, I keep the original myself and then just make copies. So tonight, Jesus, the Son of God. Tanner touched on it Sunday morning, so if you're here Sunday morning, you hear him talking about what uh, the disciples, the apostles had to say about Jesus, who he was. And he, he kind of shied away from this because he knew I was covering it tonight. So he hit a little bit, but not in depth on it for the reason that he knew I was going to cover it. Plus, it helped him not to have to. Um, he was able to go more surface on it and cover other areas. But I want to start off with Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus was talking to the disciples... And he asked them, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So that was his question. Who do men say that I am? So they explained that the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So today in our world, there are many people who say, when you would ask this question, who do you say that Jesus is? they would say that Jesus, uh, many would say he's God. There's many who say he was a good teacher. Many say he was just a good man. And there are many who say that Jesus never claimed to be anything other than a man. He'd never claimed to be God. But like I said there, because this is a Bible study, we're going to go into the Bible and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is. So the name itself, I, I I don't have a copy. I do have a copy of your notes, but I'm not looking at it. The name itself, Jesus, or in the Hebrew is Joshua, or Jehoshua, which actually is a combination of two words. It's Jehovah Shua, and it means God saves or God is salvation. So last week when we looked at God the Father, I mentioned that one of the names for God was always Jehovah, but it was always combined with another word that meant something. So it was Jehovah Shua. God saves, Jehovah Tisit Canoe, God our righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, um, God our provider. So it's Jehovah is usually with another word. So the name Jesus or Joshua was actually a combination. It meant or was Jehovah Shua. So his name in itself gives us a hint of who Jesus actually was. So when we go back into the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz was ruling at the time. And God spoke to King Ahaz, starting verse 10, so we get context. It says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in depth or in height above. But Ahaz said, I will not, nor I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is kind of a weird sign that God's giving. He's giving Ahaz a sign that wasn't going to be fulfilled for many, many years in the future. But God says this is the sign. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the Hebrew definition of Emmanuel. So we have this book in Isaiah written about 701 to 681 B.C. So anywhere from 701 to 681 years before Jesus was born, a prophecy was given that he would be born, not only born, but born of not a virgin, but the 
virgin. It was a specific woman. Whenever the article is there, the, that article, it's, it's meaning the specific person. So the virgin shall conceive. In Matthew 1, verse 18, in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Mary was the virgin that would be found with child. And it was before the birth of Jesus, it says. So this happened... Just as Isaiah prophesied, um, we're going to get into when you look at the foundation thing. We're going to get into the the Bible, its inerrancy, its infallibility, because people will look at this. Well, how can you trust this? You know, man wrote this. We're going to get into that in like two more weeks. We'll get into how we can trust the Bible and how trustworthy it is, um, which is really being questioned even in the church today. But we're going to get into that in a couple weeks. But for now, we'll just take this at what it says. And it, it was said roughly 700 to 680 years before Jesus that Mary was going to have a child. And it happened just like it said. There was also a prophecy, and I'm just giving a couple of them. There's many, many prophecies. Um, in Micah chapter 5, that's one for you. To, that's another thing we do is, man, we go through the Bible, hopefully to learn addresses and how to find things in the bible uh, micah it's a fun one and if it takes you a little time uh if you find amos obadiah jonah keep going to the right uh, micah's in there when you get to nahum go back to the left and you'll get there my bible it's page 817 so i know that doesn't help you but uh that's where it is in my Bible. in micah chapter 5 verse 2 it says but you bethlehem a fratha however you want to say it, pronounce it any way you want. Um, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So this is a prophecy Micah is giving about the coming of the Messiah. He would be born in Bethlehem. He said, and though you're little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you will come the one to be ruler in Israel. And notice that his goings forth are from old, from everlasting, from the beginning. So even though he's going to be born there, it's going to be this isn't where he starts his existence. He's from everlasting. That was written roughly 750 to 686 B.C. So another prophecy given somewhere between 750 to 780 years before Jesus was even born, there was a prophecy given that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it claims and says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod king, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So here's the fulfillment of that same prophecy that Micah gave some 750 to 686 years or so before Jesus was even born. It was prophesied not only that he would be born of a virgin, but the very place that he would be born. There's a bunch of, and I wrote some of these down, and I'm not going to go over them. This is for you guys if you want to go look them up in Genesis 3.15, Psalm 41.9, all those other ones that are in there. Um, that's only a portion of prophecy that was given about Jesus before his birth. I've never counted, but they say that there are over 300 prophecies given concerning the first coming of the Messiah. That's a lot of prophecy. It's not... A guess. When Jesus was born in the way he was born, there's so much stuff that we could be here for. And actually, when, when I did this at my house, I believe we spent four to five weeks just on Jesus. Just looking at the proof of Jesus being born. It's, it was done by some statistician one time that said that if you were to take 
I believe it was either seven or nine prophecies given about Jesus and his first coming. Just to be correct on seven to nine of them, they said it would be the equivalent of taking the state of Texas, filling it, I want to say it was a foot deep, it might have been two feet deep, in silver dollars, marking one of those silver dollars, let's say you paint it blue, and throw it in the state of Texas, flying over the state with somebody in a plane, blindfolding them, having them jump out of that plane, land on the ground, and pick up that one silver dollar or 50-cent piece. That's the chances of someone fulfilling nine of the prophecies. There's over 300 of Jesus. Um, And that's what we're going to look at is how do we prove, how do we know that Jesus was God the way that we as Christians believe that he was? So when people say, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? We can have an answer. We can tell them, oh, you know what? Let me share something with you. Let me show you some stuff. And uh, it pretty much is a mind-blowing thing. So immediately we can see that the story in itself is pretty crazy. How can one man be talked about 700 years before he was even born? If you look at that prophecy in Genesis 3.15, which is when the Adam and Eve had fallen in sin and the serpent has deceived them. They're in the garden and God gives a prophecy or God gives a, a the, I'm trying to think of the word now, the, um, what was going to happen to the serpent because of his beguiling Adam and Eve? And he said that the, he, the woman, the woman would have a seed. The woman's seed you know what? Let me do it this way. I'll just read it. Then I'll get it right instead of trying to guess it. Any other time I'll probably nail it, but right now, no. 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So you may look at that and go, well, yeah, whatever. Um, there are quite a few women here, older. You guys know um, biology. Women don't have seed. Man has a seed. Women have an egg. It takes the man's seed to fertilize the egg to have a baby. This prophecy, it says that her seed, there will be enmity between your seed and her seed. This woman, that's a prophecy right there of the virgin birth. The woman would have a seed. That's not the way it works. Biologically, it doesn't work that way. It's a prophecy given. That's in the garden. Right after the fall. So there's stuff like that. And that's what, hopefully, what, what our goal is, my goal, Tanner's goal, Mike Vasquez, if you go to his study, our goal is to provoke you to dig in and find this stuff that's in here. Because there's, like I said, over 300. I don't even know if I've found them all yet. And I've been doing this for 33 years. But I'm looking. It's a crazy story. How can it be? How, can it, how is it possible? So I say if, if we want to claim that Jesus is God, which we do claim, then he has to have the same attributes as God. God the Father that we looked at last week. They have to be the same attributes. And that's what we're going to look to discover. Um, we believe that God the Father had no beginning and has no end. But we just saw that Jesus was born of a woman, which means we can pinpoint when he began. If that was the beginning. Can we really pinpoint his beginning? Or did Jesus exist from all eternity? Back in Genesis chapter 18. I say we do a lot of thumbing through the scriptures. And I got to go fast. I got so much stuff to cover. It's crazy. Tanner wants me to do it in a week. But uh, I'll get it. Lord willing. When Abraham is given the son. uh, A promise of the son. That he was going to have. That was going to be his heir. He was sitting out. Wherever he was in the desert. In verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So it says that what we, if you last week, look, we looked at the father, the YHVH, Yahweh, we call him. That's the word there, the Lord. Appeared to him by the terebinth trees. God showed up to Abraham. And... He says, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. 
And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, Yahweh, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. So we see Abraham comes face to face with what he calls Yahweh or the I am that we we saw in Exodus when Moses asked, what is your name? God said, my name is I am. According to Abraham, he said, this is who I'm facing. I'm facing God right here. But we know in Exodus 33.20, when Moses wanted to see God, and God said, he had God's presence had been around, and, and Moses said, God, if you do not go with us, we don't want to go anywhere. We're just going to hang out. If you don't go, we don't go. And God said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. So Moses wants to see God's glory. And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So Abraham thinks he saw him. He thinks he saw God. And we know he didn't die. It says he saw the Lord, but then it says there's three men. So, wait, God appeared as a man. So, this there's something going on here. That you have to read carefully to see that. Wait, we can't see God. We know he can't see him face to face and live, but Abraham saw him. This isn't the only place we can see this. If you go into Judges chapter 13, if you know the story in Judges of Samson, there was a time when Samson's mom and dad, Manoah was his name. Her name is Mrs. Manoah because we don't really know her name. They were sitting around and an angel comes to Manoah's wife. And it says that she was wanted to have a kid. This angel, in, in verse 3 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Anytime in the scripture you see the angel of the Lord, again, the definite article, this is actually what we call a theophany of Jesus Christ. It's not an angel of the Lord. It is the angel of the Lord. Okay? We're going to go through this story just a little bit, not real in-depth, but you guys can read it for yourself. She goes through and says, this angel came to me and said, we're going to have a kid. He goes, oh, well, you should have told him to hang out. I wanted to see him. And Manoah said, man, I wish I could have seen what the angel was like. And Manoah said he rose and followed his wife in verse 11. When he came to the man, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. This is the angel of the Lord. But he says it was a man. To him, it's a man. And he says, are you the man? And he said, I am. Remember Exodus? Moses said, what is your name, God? And he said, my name is I am. So maybe I'm grasping at straws here. Let's see. So later on, Manoah, in verse 17, Manoah said to the angel, the angel of the Lord, what is your name? that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So the angel says, Why do you want to know my name, seeing that it is wonderful? Um, Again, maybe I'm grasping at straws. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You guys probably know this one. You've heard it. It's around at Christmas all the time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't that interesting, though? Isaiah says that when the child is born, the son is given, the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, which is exactly what the angel of the Lord said to Manoah. Why do you ask my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. And then Isaiah says his name will be called wonderful. Maybe a coincidence? Eh, Probably not. 
But uh, it, it's crazy to see this. Again, the phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's used some 70 plus times in the scriptures. So whenever you see the angel of the Lord, it's a theophany of Jesus Christ. All right. Another way that we see this same personage. Um, I, I'm trying not to say, I mean, I believe it's Jesus. I'm trying to do it so that it's like I'm neutral and don't know. And I'm trying to make you guys see that this is what it is. I know you guys all see it anyways, but I guess it makes me feel better when I'm doing it this way. I don't know. In Daniel 3, 25, or 3, let's say 19 down. If you guys remember, Nebuchadnezzar made an image. And he wanted everybody to bow down to this image. There's these three Hebrew children who refused to bow to this image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or Rakshak and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales person. Um, they were supposed to bow to this image. And they said, no, we're not bowing to your image, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, okay, that's it. You guys are going in the fire. They heated up the fire seven times hotter than it had ever been. The guys that were throwing the three into the fiery furnace died because it was so hot. They cast Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 24 says that King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He said, look. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. So this is another term we see for this theophany of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Okay, this phrase is used some 44 plus times in the scriptures, the son of God. In Matthew chapter 4 Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and when he comes up from the baptism it says he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights when the tempter came it says that the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, in the Greek, that's actually the translation is supposed to be since you are, not if you are. It's not a question. It's since you are. He's saying God will protect you. Your dad is going to protect you. So we see the devil, the tempter himself, calling Jesus the Son of God. So, and this this term isn't like, you know, we're all sons and daughters of God. Not like, you know, the kids always say, oh, we're brother and sister, because we're all sons and daughters of God. It's not like that. This is a specific, this is the Son of God. Again, the definite article. It's a specific person. It's not just in general. It's a specific person. So we see the tempter or the devil call Jesus this very name, Son of God. Another place that we see this is in Matthew 26. We're coming up to the part where I messed up on a scripture. Not there yet, though. I don't think. Hopefully I got this one right. Matthew twenty six sixty three. Jesus kept silent. He's before the high priest. Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ. The Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now we see Jesus himself say that I am the Son of God. The high priest asked him, and he said, It is as you say. So we have confirmation from his own mouth. You want to say something, Joe? Why did you bring in these false witnesses? We don't need any more Jesus people 
Yeah, you misunderstood. Yeah. yeah. There's something we forgot, Richard. We forgot to set up that microphone. Last week we had a microphone set up. So this is open discussion here. If you guys have something to say, you want to comment, that we're, it's, we want this more of a, a, of a home type feel. And we forgot the microphone this week. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's there's other ones. John eight fifty eight is a great one. John ten uh ten fifty I've got a lot of this. Yeah, John ten thirty one through thirty three. Yeah. He said, For which of the good works that I have done do you stone me? He said, For no good work that you have done do we stone you, but because you, being a man, make yourself God. And they say, Hey, wait a minute, that's not what I was saying, you guys. You misunderstood my he didn't say that. They knew what he was saying. So we see there the high priest. And this is the one. So Jesus claims to be the one the high priest asked about. But this isn't the only place that Jesus claims this. And this is where I messed up. You've got Matthew four eighteen through 21 in there on your notes. It's not Matthew. It's Luke 4. That's what that's supposed to be. Okay. In Luke 4, when Jesus was in Nazareth, he went to the temple. It says... In verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Another place that Jesus himself claims that he is the Son of God. So we see that Jesus did claim that he was equal to God. That was his claim. Um, let's see, seven, we were split 8.30. Okay, I got a half hour. I'm like trying to remember because at my house we always finished by eight. I've got till 8.30 here. So we're doing good. Um, Jesus claims his deity or confirms his deity if we just go back one chapter and look to chapter 3, 21 and 22. It says, when all the people who were baptized, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. We see the Father and the Spirit at the baptism of Jesus confirming his deity. We're going to get more into that when we're all done. We've seen the Father. We're looking at the Son. Next week, we look at the Spirit. And we see how the three are one. Um, I was going to have Elizabeth do a little background to that thing. It's called a triquetra, which you guys have seen sometimes in your Bibles. I don't know if you guys can see it from there in my Bible, that little... It's like three footballs together. It's a shape of three footballs. I wanted to put them together. That is... Like I said last week, we can't come with a physical analogy of what it really is to have a triune God. But that picture, and most of the, a lot of the New King James have that in them, that is of just kind of an idea of what God would be like. Those three footballs make that symbol. If you take one of those little oval shapes out, you no longer have that same symbol. If you try to remove one of the personages of the Godhead, you no longer have God. The other thing I was thinking about that I want to make the point which we don't think about all the time, is we see, like what I just read there in Luke, we see the Father, Son, and the Spirit together. But a lot of the time we think of Jesus as doing what he did kind of by himself and the, the Spirit and the Father are somewhere else. The Father and Spirit are there. You just don't recognize them. 
and I was thinking a way to show this analogy would be that symbol, the triquetra, would be like having one of those symbols down, and that would be Jesus. And that's what the focus is, is what he's doing at the time. But the Father and the Son are there at the same time. They're just not the focus of what's happening. But they're always present. The three are always together. Even Jesus in his humanity was 100% God, 100% man at the same time. So the Father and the Spirit are there. They're just not the focus of what's happening right there. That dawned on me, I think, last week. And I went, oh, yeah, you know, I don't think about that all the time. But that's the way it is. You can't separate the three. They're always in conjunction. They're always working together. Even though you don't always see the Father and the Spirit working or notice it or it's not pointed out, it's always happening that way. The three are always present together. You cannot separate them. Jesus is just God in the flesh. And you see there the three together right there where we just looked at in Luke chapter 3. Um, in John 17, 1 through 5, when Jesus is praying, and this is the Lord's Prayer, okay? The Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. That is not the Lord's Prayer. That is a model prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say pray this. He said pray like this. This is God's, this is Jesus' prayer. This is the, the Lord's prayer right here in John chapter 17. We're not going to go through the whole thing. But 17, 1 through 5, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, here's his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So we see that this God in the flesh existed before the world ever was created. And we're going to see other stuff about him. But this is what we're trying to focus on. So that when they say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. He wasn't eternal. He just existed at this point in time. We can see in his own mind, he thought he was always eternal. He thought he was always there. And like Tanner said on uh, Sunday, when he quoted C.S. Lewis, when he said that uh, Jesus was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. Those are the only three options we have. If he was a liar, he wasn't a good teacher. If he was a lunatic... He wasn't a good teacher and he wasn't Lord. Or, and he, had, he was one of the three, or he was who he claimed to be. Okay? We believe he was who he claimed to be. Other scriptures you can look at, they're written there Matthew 17, 1 through 5, Mark 5, 1 through 7, Luke 2, 2 through 32, John 10, 31 through 33, Acts chapter 7. Um, another thing, another word, I, bad choice because that's what we're looking at, another name for Jesus is the word right john chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god so according to john whatever this word that he says here was it was in the beginning with god and it was god so whatever it was he says the word was god it was with him and it was him. If we're not sure what he's talking about. Oh, verse two. He was in the beginning with God. Verse three. All things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that was made. And do notice that it is a personal pronoun. He says the word, but him. It's a personal pronoun. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jump down to ter- verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that this word that was in the beginning, that was God, became flesh. Sounds like Jesus. The Jehovah's Witness Bible uh, indicates uh, the word was a God. Was a God. The, in the Greek, it is tantheon. Okay, in the the way the Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have studied a little Greek. 
the way Greek works, the word ton is the. That's what the word means, and it's T-O-N. Theon, the O-N ending, Theon, Theos, or Theo, is God. When it ends in the O-N, then the the and the and the Theon, so the uh, Theon, what did I say it was? I'm all confused. I think I said Theon, Theos, Theon. Theos, Theon. Now I'm all messed up. Anyways, whichever way it is, I would have to go back. Now I'm all confused, but it doesn't matter because when the first word ends in O-S, the word that it's describing ends also in the same way. So that the ton theon, that's what it is. I knew it'd come back to me. So ton theon, they both end in O-N. Ton theon, the God. The on at the end just matches the two words up. There is no A in the Greek. The Jehovah's Witnesses in the New World Translation add the A. And that is the only place they add it. When ton theon comes together, because that's not the only place you see ton theon, Right there, they put A in there. But it's not in the Greek in any manuscript. In fact, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the, the Bible, uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society had no Greek scholars write the New World Translation. There was no Greek scholars involved in that at all. Um, but in the Greek, again, ton theon is the word. The word. The God. That's theon, theo, theos, whatever it is. It could be tos theos. The OS at the end, OS at the end. It just, the is just, it's a, they change it in the Hebrew to match whatever it is describing. So like I said, I did a little Greek and I learned that in the Greek, that that's what it does. So when they add the A into that, that's the only place they add it when ton theon comes together. It's the only place they put A. Because it's so definite what it's trying to say there is that the word was God. And they, oh, we can't have that. I can tell you many other things about Jehovah's Witnesses. And we may get into some of that. I know that's one of the things Tanner wants to cover that's not on our actual description was apologetics. But um, we're praying about how that's going to incorporate. Because this this outline that we have is not not necessarily what we're doing every time. so we're going to try to get some apologetics in and some other stuff that we're going to do within this class just to help us all. Because believe me, I mean, I've, I've been going through this stuff for years and I still, I put this together and I'm just like, man, God, so amazing. And you can ask these guys, almost everybody over here was at this same teaching that I did five weeks. This is completely different from what I did just three months ago. Completely different. And it's the same Bible and I'm talking about the same Jesus. So it's just how God is speaking at the at the time. And this is what he showed me to do. So this is what I'm doing. Okay, so we have the Tontheon, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the God. So that's the way you can talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And all you have to do is if you if you talk to one of them and they go, oh, it says, no, it says the word was a God. Tell them, you know, in the Greek, that's Tontheon. And they will run as fast as they can because they know I used to, used to go to Azusa when I lived in Glendora. And I would walk the streets because the Jehovah's Witnesses were there on Saturday mornings. I would walk the streets, sit down on the bus stop, just like like I was doing nothing. So they would come by and share with me. It was great. I loved it. But as soon as I said, you know, in the Greek, oh, man, they were like as quick as they could. They were gone because they know nothing about the Greek. All they know is what they've been taught. That's the importance of what we're trying to do here is so that you don't know something because I taught it or that Tanner taught it or whoever it is. But that you know it because you got into a lot of these other scriptures and you studied it for yourself and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what you've studied is God and it's true. So that you can say, you know, I studied that and they don't like when you do that stuff. I had one Jehovah's Witness scream the top of his lungs in my apartment when my wife and I were um, in an apartment. We didn't have any kids yet. And this guy was so mad because I just shared one scripture out of the Bible with him. I mean, he jumped up. I've been doing this for nine years and nobody's ever done this to me. He was yelling, I will never come back here again. It's like, sorry, dude. I just, it's the Bible, you know. And, oh, he was mad. He didn't stay away, though. He did come back like a couple months later to try to sell me a different Watchtower magazine. He goes, you know, we got this new one out and I thought of you. I said, you know what? I'm glad you thought of me. I truly believe in my heart. I don't know if it's happened yet. I will see him in heaven. Because there's a... a a saying that says when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. 
And I know that guy was nailed. And he won't be able to forget. Because even two months later, when that watchtower came out, he thought of me. He didn't forget me. And I don't believe he ever will. I think he'll always remember that guy that didn't know much, but he knew this one scripture, Matthew 13, about the parable of the wheat and the tares, and shared with him and turned his world upside down. So I believe God's got something for that guy. It probably already happened. I don't know. I never saw him again after he came that one time. But um, Okay, Jesus being equal with God. Now I really got to get jamming. Um, that's right. We don't have to cover it all. You guys got the scriptures there too. So you can take the time. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus, it says, being in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't trying to make himself equal to God. He goes, he was equal to God. He said, I wasn't stealing that deity from God. I I was there. I was it. I was God. But I put that aside. I divested myself of that deity and really, we, we say it that way. It probably isn't a proper way to think of it. Is that he didn't put his godness aside or his deity aside. He veiled it so we couldn't see it. He was God and he just put flesh over it. Because on the Mount of Transfiguration, the flesh was removed and those guys saw it. That's the Mount of... He's there and he was in his glory, shining. And that, whoa, he just removed the flesh. And he was still Jesus. He was still God. And that's another place we can see the Father, Son, and the Spirit, which we will look at. Probably next week we'll get into that if I get time. If not, it might go into a fourth week, which isn't on the list, but that's okay. Um, since I'm in charge, I get to do that stuff. I can make it go longer. Tanner doesn't care because we're, like I said, we're just trying to figure out exactly how we're going to do this. So that'll give somebody the next time if I have somebody else teach this, which I think I'm already, I think I already know how I'm going to have do it. Um, they'll get four weeks also. So uh, another place we can see Jesus and he was the creator. And these are all attributes that we saw in, in the Father last week. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist now this is an argument that you could come up with jehovah's witnesses well see jesus was first born he's the only begotten so they say he's he's not god because he was born okay the word only begotten or firstborn. okay in the greek the word is protos all right protos means to be foremost in time place order and importance can also mean before or at the beginning. Okay, the word protos is where we get our word prototype. That's where our word comes from, prototype. It's the first. It doesn't mean that he was the first one God created. Okay, that's not what the word means. What the word means is he's the first, like it said, foremost in time, place, order, and importance. It's not that he was born. He was always there. But he's over everything. And it says that he created all things. All things were created for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things consist. So we see this and this. We know that the Father is the same thing. Remember, we said we want to see the same attributes in the Father and the Son. We're seeing it. They're the same. We don't, our, our minds, we're finite. We can't, how do we get an infant God? How can three be one? And how can Jesus play to the Father when he is the Father? Or he is, but he's not the Father. He's just part of the Godhead. He's not the Father. They're separate. It's way beyond my brain. Someone like Richard could maybe do a better job of explaining it, but that's, it's like way beyond me. I'm a Glendor High School graduate. That's as far as I got. So 
only begotten or firstborn does not mean that he was born. It just means he's first in preeminence. He's, he's the one that's over all. So, and he's not less than the Father. He just has a different position than the Father. So, uh, we have in Deuteronomy, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, Deuteronomy 5, 7 through 9, we see that worship can only be ascribed to God. Nothing else can be worshipped but God. But we can look at Matthew 4.10 and Revelations 22.9 and we can see Jesus receive worship. Okay, Matthew 4.10. I'm, I'm going to do this one because I, I hate to say stuff and then not prove it with Scripture. So I like to use the Scripture. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Right? So he tells him, Get away. Only God can be worshipped. Revelations 22 Verse 9 says, Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. Oh, this is showing that only God can be worshipped. I'm sorry. Matthew 14.32. That's where I wanted to go for, for what I wanted to prove. 14.32. It says, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. He knows, he told Satan, only God can be worshipped. These guys said, it says they worshipped him. And you don't see him going, guys, don't do that. I'm just a man. He didn't tell them that. They are ascribing worship to him. And only God can have it. You can also see that in Matthew uh, 28, 9, Hebrews 1, 6. Uh, we have in in uh, John eleven twenty five. we see Jesus has the power to give life. We see in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus is immutable or he's unchangeable. We see Jesus called Mighty God in Isaiah 9, 6. And that's, this is another one Jehovah's Witnesses like to use. Jesus is Mighty God and the Father is Almighty God. Um, I, I, I'm going to try to put together a parallel of the Father, Son, and Spirit on one piece of paper. And you can see how the, they're called both. It's all interchangeable between the three. Mighty God, Almighty God. Uh, Jesus called the Everlasting Father. That's a problem for Jehovah's Witnesses, especially there in Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, no, they don't believe in a triune God. They don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They believe Jesus was a spirit. He was Michael the archangel, and if Jesus was to have walked on sand, he would not have left footprints. He actually just floated. He was just spirit. I okay. that, uh, you know, I used to attend, um, the, the JW Church. Years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't believe he would have left footprints if he walked on sand. That's what they they believe he was just a spirit, not an actual man. They believe he was a prophet. And they'll tell you he was mighty God and the Father is almighty God. And you ask him, how many gods do you think there are? And they'll say one. Well, wait a minute. You just told me that there's two. But they'll say, no, that's not what we mean. Because Jesus was never really a person. He was just a spirit. He was a prophet, but he wasn't a physical person. Um, they got all kinds of stuff, you know, with, um, the Charles Taz Russell and the prophecy of 1914 when he was going to come back and yeah, he was going to take away the 144,000, which the book of Revelation talks about. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that Jehovah's Witness. I don't want to get too far into that because I want to sp- finish this, but that is something we can cover in the apologetics class. So you can learn how to defend against what they believe. Um, I've got, I've been studying Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Catholics. Oh, that's a touchy one in the Christian church. Um, there's a lot of false doctrine and false religions out there. And that's what the apologetics would teach you. Some of the things they believe, because most of them don't even know themselves what they believe. So when you share it with them, they're like, what? And then when you share stuff that they, they do know, like Mormons, some of the elders will know this stuff. And they're like, wait, how do you know that? Because only us special people know it, And they, they really trip out on that stuff. So I, I've studied that stuff a long time. Um, I know Michael's been doing it a long time. My son Tim knows a lot about that stuff too. So... Um, Anyways, uh, so we have Jesus, the everlasting Father, in Isaiah 9, 6. Jesus called the first and the last, okay? In Revelation 1, 11, 17, uh, Isaiah 44, 6, 41, 4, 48, 12, Revelations 2, 9, and 22, 13, okay? We know Jesus is omnipotent. Remember, we brought this up about the Father last week. Omnipotence is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. We see that 
When he has power over sickness, Luke 4, 38 through 41, he has power over nature. We just read that when he calms the sea in Matthew, 20, Matthew 8, 27, he does that. He has power over death. John 11, we can see that. So he's all powerful, which is an attribute of the Father. So Jesus and the Father both have supreme power. So that's kind of weird. If he's not God, how does he get that? A man can't have that. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. John 1, 48 uh, Tanner read that last Sunday or the Sunday before, I believe it was, when he sees Nathaniel under the fig tree. I think it was last Sunday. He sees Nathaniel under the fig tree in Luke 9.47. He says, and before Peter called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. This was a man. How did he see somebody that wasn't even near him? So that's what I'm saying. All he did was veil his deity, but the deity was still there. That's why he was so in tune with the Father. Um. Uh, there was a dispute in John 2.24 between the disciples as they were walking down the road. It says that he perceived their thoughts. He knows what they thought while he was a man walking. It's not like he was a, you know, a Gene Dixon or one of these people that has a crystal ball that can read the future stuff. It wasn't like that. He wasn't guessing what they were thinking. He knew exactly what they were thinking. They were disputing over who was going to be the greatest. Remember, and Jesus said, oh, you know what? The greatest isn't the one who gets the highest position. It's the one that becomes like the child. So that's the greatest. So he he has he's all knowing. You can also see that Luke five twenty two, Luke twenty twenty three nine forty seven, John six twenty three. Okay. Now Jesus omnipresence. Okay. The problem with the omnipresence was that Jesus was a hundred percent man. So he couldn't be everywhere at the same time as a man. So this is the only place that as a human being, as a man of the flesh, he could not be everywhere at the same time. But we do know when we saw him in the Old Testament, he could be. He knew all those things. He was able to be with Manoah. He's able to be with Abraham. He was with Moses. He was with Noah. He was at the beginning of the creation. He could be everywhere at the same time as God the Father is, but not when he was here as a man, because a man can't do those things. You can only be in one place at one time. So... That's where we see a difference in that. But the thing I really want to focus on, okay, was in Hebrews 10, 1 through 25. Because the bottom line is, God's holiness required a perfect sacrifice in order to remove the sins of mankind. Okay, and we can see that throughout the Levitical law. Um, When the law was given and they were to bring sacrifice, the lamb was to be brought and the lamb was to be without blemish. And there was never to be leaven involved in the sacrifices. Leaven is always, in the scripture, a type of sin. So there was to be no sin, perfect lamb without blemish. Okay? We see in Hebrews 10, 1 through 25, and I'm just going to read it, probably not any commentary. It should be self-explanatory. But but I think this really shows what we're talking about with Jesus. It says, For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Um, just real quick, the Old Testament sacrifice, when it talks about sacrifice, the word is kofar, and it is a covering. That's the word in the Hebrew. It's covering. It's the same word when we see Noah that built the boat, and it says he covered the, the ark with pitch. That word pitch is kofar. It was a covering. It didn't remove, and that's what he's saying here. Those sacrifices didn't remove. All they did was covered. That's why they had to keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. Verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sins you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once 
for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We're being sanctified. We're not there. We're being that. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant. He did not do away with it. He fulfilled it. The law was a schoolmaster. It was to show us we couldn't do it. There had to be something different that God was requiring. That different thing that he was requiring was his son. John fourteen six, and we're going to end with this, and I've done it. John fourteen six. we're going to end with this. When Jesus said to Thomas, after he asked him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Always remember this. Jesus did not come to point the way to the Father. He came to be the way to the Father. There's a band out there. It was called Rock and Roll Worship Circus. Love them. If you like rock and roll, they were really good. Um. One of the lyrics in one of their songs, it says, And so you tore the temple of Baal away. And and you were there standing in its place. That holy veil that only the high priest could go through once a year on Yom Kippur. He was the only one that could go through. When Jesus died, it said the temple veil was rent from top to bottom. Man couldn't do that. I believe it was like 16 feet high. Okay, so And it was very thick. It was like a foot, foot and a half thick. You couldn't just tear it, you know, even the, what were those guys that used to be on T, TBN all the time, the Power or something or others? What was it? Not the Power Rangers. That's the Japanese guys. I don't know if you guys know, they're big steroid guys, Christian steroid users, and they would tear Bibles and stuff, okay? Even those guys couldn't tear it. It was torn from top to bottom to show that it was God that was making the way. Man would have done it from bottom to top. God did it from top to bottom. He removed that veil. Jesus stood in the place. So now if you want to get to the Father, he says, you come through me. Okay? He didn't come to point the way. He came to be the way. So there's a lot of stuff there, and I barely touched on anything. There is so much in there, and that's what we're hoping. My prayer, I know Tanner's prayer, is we talk all the time. Um, our, our true desire, and my kids can tell you, I don't know if you guys know, but these are my kids right here and one back there. My daughter, my son, my son, and my son. Um, my four kids. The redhead green sweatshirt, beanie guy, and beanie guy in the back. Those are my four kids. Um, My desire has always been that I would find something in the Scripture that you've never heard, and you go, wow, where did he get that? I want to find stuff like that, and that you would dig and find, because I had mentors. That's what they've done. That's why I do what I do, because I'd have people teach me. I'm like, man, where did he get that? I want to see that kind of stuff. So I started digging. And I think I find that kind of stuff now. Stuff that I've never... Oh, wow, that's crazy. I never saw that. That's my desire. I know that's Tanner's desire. Like I said, when we get together and we talk, that's what we want to see. That you guys would be rooted, built up, grounded in your faith, like Bereans, making sure that everything I'm teaching is right. And Tanner listens to the study, so he'll know if I'm teaching off-the-wall stuff, I'll hear about it. 
and you won't hear about the foundations class anymore if I'm doing that. Um, but we, we, that's our desire, is we want to build the church up and make disciples so that not only, hopefully, I'm making disciples here, but then you guys go out and you make disciples. And then you met your disciples make disciples. That's how it worked. It was only 12 guys in the beginning. And one of them was a devil, right? He betrayed Jesus. They turned the world upside down. And it, I know they say turned it right side up. It turned upside down because this is the devil's world. We're changing it for him. So one soul at a time, one Bible study at a time. So that's it. Um, if you have questions or whatever, like I said, and when we do this, this is open so we can discuss. You know, if you have, hey, you know what? I was reading some. That's all good. We don't have to leave right away. Um, I just want to end at 830 so that we know every week at 830. If you got kids or, you know, someone's expecting your husband or you got dinner sitting at home, you know, still in the crock pot. You know, at 830 we're done and you can get home and get it out of the crock pot so it doesn't burn. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight and pray you would just continue to show us yourself that I, I pray that I made it clear um, that anything that I said that was weird or wrong, that uh, you would just erase it from the memories and even from the CD so Tanner doesn't get mad at me. <laughs> so we just love you. We thank you for tonight and pray you just continue to bless our lives as we draw close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.